0: It is Lent four. Only two weeks to go. This is about the time every year when I start to get really weary of Lent. Maybe it's the weather. Maybe I'm tired of the discipline or the self examination is kind of getting old. Maybe I'm getting a little tired of the drabness and the solemnity and the mea culpa ness of it all. I'm ready for spring. I'm ready for Easter and celebration. I'm ready to lighten up already. The parable of the prodigal son, as we call it, is on some levels a strange text for the middle of Lent. It doesn't really talk much about self-examination or self-denial. There is forgiveness in the story, but no real confession. And it does, after all, have a party as its centerpiece. Given the Lenten association with temperance, the extravagance of this story is startling. It's almost embarrassing. There is, in fact, a lot to be uncomfortable about in this parable. What the younger son essentially says to his father is, I wish you were dead. His behavior is awful, socially, ritually, physically. And yet, the father welcomes him back, and not in just any old way, but by running, of all things, running and giving him a party, unheard of. And then there's this complication with the older brother. This part of the story makes me uncomfortable every time. Why is he acting like this? And then why wasn't he invited to the party? Traditionally, the focus of this story has been on the younger child, the prodigal one. The parable, if you'll remember, is in response to these sinners and these tax collectors that are coming after Jesus all the time. Prodigal, in case you don't have a dictionary on you, means characterized by profuse or wasteful expenditure or recklessly spendthrift. Regardless of his future actions, regardless of whether or not his father forgives him, this kid will forever be known as the one who squandered. The simple lesson that we learn from the parable of the recklessly spendthrift son is that God, like the Father, will take us any way we are, watching the road for us, running towards us with open arms, wanting all good things for us. There's nothing we can do to be outside of that grace. Nothing. The lesson of the parable at this angle is tried and true. It is comforting. It's accessible. It's a lesson we could each stand to hear every day. We are broken and we are destructive, but nonetheless we are forgiven and we are beloved. But the parable I need to hear is the parable of the selfish older brother. Both sons in this parable are lost, each in his own way. And while I, like all of us, occasionally am wayward and reckless, I tend to lean much more toward the high horse rule following. Remember, Jesus is talking to the self-righteous Pharisees here, telling this story to them who are grumbling about those sinners and tax collectors. The actions of the older brother are a mirror, perhaps, to all of us who just wish everyone would play by the rules, so it all comes out fair. The son, this older son, can't see the situation in any way except according to his own conventions of justice. The father's response to his younger brother utterly confuses the rules the doctrines the convictions that confine that older son we churchy types we can be especially encamped with the older brother we know exactly how many volunteer hours we put in we know how much our pledge is we know how people should dress and behave in church We get anxious and angry when the toes of our customs and traditions are trod upon by someone who surely has not earned the place that we are entitled to. After all, I am here 52 Sundays out of the year. Why shouldn't I have a pew at Easter before all of these people who show up twice a year? The simple lesson in the parable of the selfish brother is that God, like the father, has enough love for us all, that our loyalty and our steadfastness is rewarded by the sure knowledge that we were never outside that love. It is as steady and as loyal as we think we are. Each brother in this way has his own distinct relationship with his father, the younger, wayward brother travels to hell and back, publicly wishing his father dead, separating himself from the family with every vice imaginable, ending up destitute, living with animals deemed ritually unclean. The younger brother has to travel the long road home simply in order to survive, ditching whatever dignity he had left in preparation for whatever his father Who, by all legal rights, owed him nothing, might choose to do to him. This child received an overflowing measure of love and forgiveness. We can speculate all day about whether or not the younger son is really changed, or if he will stick around only long enough to fill his belly before going back to his old ways. I hope he doesn't, but it doesn't matter. He has now experienced grace in the form of bottomless love and open, welcoming arms. The older son goes on a different journey. He has stuck around. He has experienced the steady, small, daily rewards of being the good kid. He can count on a warm bed and a hot meal. He can count on clean clothes and steady work. He, above all, has never had to question the love of his father for he has never done anything to jeopardize that constant, steady love. This child, too, has received an overflowing measure of grace and of love. But he is confronted for the first time by the scandal of that grace. His well-behaved, fairness-driven, rule-bound heart cannot conceive that his father's love is not a zero-sum game. We can speculate all day long about whether this son will wake up the next morning, pack up his share of the inheritance, and go gambling. I hope he doesn't, but it doesn't matter. Grace extends to him, too, and it always will. Both sons misunderstand the workings of grace. The younger disbelieves that grace will come back after his misbehavior, while the elder cannot let go of old grudges, believing that grace is his alone. Yet both are welcomed home. They call us to reassess our own standards and our own basis for our relationship to God. So these are two places in which we can find ourselves in this parable. There's a lesson for each of us in these sons. And in fact, we've probably been each at different times in our lives, wayward and reprobate, though contrite, angry and selfish, though steadfast. The lesson, no matter where you find yourself in this parable, is that grace will find you. Grace is yours for the seeking, yours for the taking. But there's another often forgotten character from whom we can learn in this story. The actions of the two sons are implicating, and they're instructive, but what about the father? For so long I have considered the father an image of God, reminding us, as I have already mentioned, that God loves us no matter where we are on that spectrum from reckless to steadfast. But theologian Henry Nouwen in his book The Return to the Prodigal Son, The Return of the Prodigal Son, instead of focusing on the wayward child, looks at the powerful witness of the forgiving father. What if instead of seeing the father as an image of God, we look to the father as a model for the church, or even closer to home, a model for our own individual behavior? In the parable of the welcoming father, we are still reminded that love and grace and welcome are not a zero-sum game. The difference is that instead of waiting for that abundance to show up in our own lives and on our own doorsteps, we understand that it is up to us, those of us who carry the gospel out into the world, it is up to us to act it out. No matter how we read this as the parable, we are reminded of an important lesson of Lent. No matter how badly we behave, no one is denied the love of God. But when we read this parable as the one of the welcoming father, we are reminded that we are the ones that are bound by our baptism to do the welcoming. It is not up to us to decide who deserves it. It is not up to us to judge. It is our job to watch the road, have the robes and the rings at the ready, ready for the feckless and the reckless. It is our job to soothe the anger of the self-righteous and the self-centered. It is our job to open our doors and our arms and our hearts to whomever shows up for the party, regardless of their status as wayward or selfish, sinner or saint. Amen.